welcome, welcome. Hey, that's loud. Uh, my name's Joel Seymour, one of the pastors here. I'm a founding pastor. Uh, if we haven't met, that's probably why, because I'm the founding guy. You know, he just speaks every once in a while and hangs out and worships and doesn't have all the pressure of uh, being the senior pastor. Um, and I now, if you have, we haven't met, I work for Vineyard USA, and I help. Uh, the easiest way to say what I do is I pastor pastors and do quite a bit of traveling. Just finished a week of a pretty intense civil rights tour of Montgomery and Selma and Atlanta and Memphis. And uh, uh, here I am preaching today. It is so good to be with you. Uh, been doing a ton of traveling lately with you. Uh, but some of it's been more family-oriented. A few weeks ago, Christy and I and my daughter, Emmy, who's uh, graduating high school here in a month, uh, we took a, a college tour at Lee University, Cleveland, Tennessee, and uh, we, we got to pick some different classes just to go to, to, to just see how classes work there. And one of the classes we picked was a intro to New Testament class. Uh, the professor did a phenomenal job. Like, he covered all of Romans in 45 minutes. I mean, it was pretty impressive. Uh, but he actually did a really good job of covering all of Romans in 45 minutes. And uh, as he was doing some of the housekeeping work, some of the announcement stuff, he was talking about pop quizzes and told his, I mean, I don't even know if this is fair to do, but he was telling the students to be prepared for a pop quiz. I mean, whatever. Um, but so he did that. I mean, however, you remember, remember pop quizzes, right? Right? Teachers give those why so you're ready at any given moment to, to answer, right? I mean, give me an essay anytime. I mean, I would much better have a pop essay because uh, I may have got a Bachelor of Arts, you know, a BA degree, but they probably should have given me a BS degree because I can do essays. I can do essays. I, I, you know, I got, you know, here's how educated I am. I got summa cum something, I can't even remember, uh, uh, which is ironic to say that, um, uh, in college, basically because there was a lot of essays. Why do you give pop quizzes? We give pop quizzes because in life, there's oftentimes you don't get a chance to, you know, come up with the right answer in five hours, right? Like you get some pop quizzes in life, right? Um, I mean, you show up at work, you've been working diligently on a project for three months, you got two more months to get this thing finished up, the boss comes in and says, hey, I think I'd like to move you to this other project. That's a pop quiz. How are you going to react, right? Uh, you find out that, uh, you know, a dear friend is, uh, is going through a, a divorce and they need your support. They, they just went through a pop quiz, didn't they? Um, you get a medical diagnosis you weren't expecting. Pop quiz, right? It's 9 p.m., you're packing for a seven-hour drive to go visit a college the next day with your daughter, and the spout falls off of your bathtub and water ends up all in the basement. That one's like a real pop quiz, uh, like two weeks ago. Uh, so, you know, like these things happen, right? How do, you, how, do you, how do you respond to life's pop quiz? I'm gonna give you a quick pop quiz right here. It's a pop quiz on how you, how you should respond to pop quizzes. So here we go, it's multiple choice, so at least it's that. So A, you can deal with it yourself. B, you can call on family and friends. C, you can ignore it or run from it. Or D, you can give it to God. Now there's only one right answer, unless there was a letter E that said something like, turn the water off on your house so the leak quits. Now that one, that one worked for me, but seriously, if you haven't lived long enough, or uh, let me just tell you what the, what the real answer is. It ain't A, uh, because 
as you will soon find out, there are certain problems that hit you that you cannot handle on your own. B, eh, wrong answer, because there are, there are problems big enough your family and friends can't handle, but also, some of you probably know that, that you have some families that just didn't have the resources to give you what you needed, either emotional resources or maturity or spiritual or financial resources to help you. Or sometimes you found out that some friends, when, when times got tough, uh, were fake friends. You can ignore the problem or run from the problem, but most of you have lived long enough to know that that comes back to get you, right? Like you can't run from life's pop quizzes. They just keep coming. Or you can give it to God. That's the right answer, is to... When you get caught off guard in life situation is to fall to your knees and cry out to God to lift up your voice and say, I trust you, Jesus. I surrender all to you, Jesus. Everything to you. I need your help. We must trust God. You and I need to learn to trust God and have faith in God. The manifestation of trust in God is the Christian word that we often say, which is faith. But what about when a pop quiz, I'm going to give you a specific pop quiz, when a pop quiz is a medical diagnosis comes towards you or someone that you love? How do you respond to that? Quite a few years ago, our church as a whole, we were, we were still meeting at the YMCA. Um, uh, we, we received a pop quiz. In the course of just maybe one or two weeks, four of our members, and we were, we were much smaller then, and so it was it's kind of very easy to, to know all these stories at once. Um, uh, several of our members got different diagnoses. Uh, one gentleman was a surgical nurse and all of a sudden began to have intense foot pain and the doctors couldn't figure it out to the point he couldn't stand and do surgery anymore. It was gonna affect his livelihood and his, his career. Uh, a woman in our church in her mid-40s had received a diagnosis that she had MS and the MRIs had shown lesions on her brain and on her spine. Um, uh, another man, he was also in his 40s, uh, received a diagnosis. He had had, a, had had a lump right here and it had begun growing and by that time was probably like a golf ball size and he found out he had cancer. And all these diagnoses came at us at once. And it's like, how do you, how do you respond to that? Especially as a smaller church when all of us knew each other pretty intimately and been in the same social circles. And it was a pop quiz. How do you respond to sickness and medical diagnosis? What's it look like to respond with, in faith when healing is needed? Well, today we're going to answer that question and we're going to continue our series called Empowered. And today we're gonna to talk about specifically being empowered for healing. Uh, here at the Vineyard, we believe that healing is not something just uh, relegated to this book or just relegated to foreign missions or just relegated to the chosen. Like we actually believe that God still heals today. And so how do we respond in an empowered way with faith when healing is needed? What does faith in healing even look like? To find out, we're gonna take a look at Luke chapter seven. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to your Bibles in Luke chapter seven, either on your devices or your printed analog copy like the one I have. Uh, Jesus has just been, has finished teaching. He's, he's talked about loving uh, our enemies. And, and, and then the, the story begins to shift between chapter six and chapter seven. He heads towards Capernaum, which was kind of his ministry headquarters in a region of the country called Galilee. And, and here he, he 
begins to do a healing ministry and we're gonna answer the question, what does it look like to respond with faith when we encounter sickness? What is the role of faith in healing? So if you have your Bibles, take a look. Uh, we're gonna go with Luke 7 and we're just gonna look at verses one through the beginning of verse six. When Jesus had finished saying all this, all those teachings that he'd just given, to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion servant, whom his master highly valued, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus, sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. We encounter a few characters. We'll put our finger there and we'll keep looking in a second. But we encounter a few characters. The first character, uh, well, obviously besides Jesus, is we learn of a centurion servant. He had a highly valued servant. The way the story progresses leads most people to believe that this, this highly valued servant had become a friend of the centurion. Um, uh, slavery in the Greco-Roman era of that time in Rome and in the, in the countries and the uh, uh, places that Rome had conquered, there was slavery like we can slavery and harsh conditions in that. There was certainly that in, in depending on the jobs in Rome uh, and in the Roman Empire. But there was also slavery where people could be a doctor or a teacher and they could actually be a slave doing those jobs. Uh, they just didn't have the freedom. They were owned by that person. Uh, they became almost a, a part of the family at times. This particular gentleman had become highly valued to the centurion. We learn about a centurion. He's the other character in our, in our story today. The centurion would have been a Roman commander of 100 men at least. Um, and remember, he is the occupier. He is the oppressor. He is the one who has helped take over the, the nation of Israel. And he now runs the whole country, him and all the other Roman soldiers and the governors that, from Rome. And so he would have been seen as the, the enemy by, by most Jews. But he was a little different. He actually had become a patron of the Jews. He, he had begun to admire them. He even helped build a synagogue for them. And that enters in the next characters of our story, the elders. But the elders uh, were religious leaders of their day. And they, they come to Jesus and they say, listen, this man is worthy of you to heal his servant because he's done so much for us. He loves us and he is, he is worthy. How many of you have played that game before when healing's needed? See, in their culture, there, there was a, it's hard, particularly the book of Luke, um, one of the lenses we should read Luke through is this, this idea of tit for tat, uh, reciprocity, where if I do something for you, if I invite you to my house for dinner, then you're obligated to invite me to your house. Uh, that was the social obligations of the day. If I, if I say something of high esteem towards you, then you need to give me a compliment. That was how the, the world worked back then. Um, and so they're saying, listen, he's worthy because he did this for us. You have to do this for him. You ever done that one? God, I go, to, I go to church like every Sunday. I'm not like the average Christian in America that goes 1.2 times. I actually go every time, you know. I'm worthy. I pray every day. I do like the Bible app and do the verse of the day. And uh, I go to small group. I volunteer every once in a while. I have served in nursery. I deserve healing. Uh, you know, because uh, likely this cold I got is from serving. No, just kidding. Uh, 
I, I tithe, I give regularly. Maybe I'm the only sick person in the room, but man, I do all those prayers at times. When things hit family members of mine or hit me, if, if it lingers, then I start running those prayers. But as we're gonna find out, it's not about being worthy to receive healing. There's, there's something else at play. Faith for healing starts by believing that Jesus is loving and compassionate. He actually wants to heal people. It's not about seeing yourself as deserving enough to be healed. It's, it's that God loves you and he wants you to be whole. The great English preacher Leslie Weatherhead observed, Jesus seems to have regarded God's ideal purpose for every man as, and woman as a perfect health of body, mind, and spirit. And although that ideal integration has, was seldom attained, Jesus worked for it and believed himself to be doing it in this way, the will of God. The centurion had heard of Jesus. And he, and he has faith in Jesus' love and compassion. Let's continue to, to read. Take a look at verses 6 through 8. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to, him, to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. The elders were trying to say, this guy's worthy. He did this, so you need to do it for him. The centurion's on the opposite end of things. You know, I'm not even worthy to have you come into my house, man. I'm a centurion. I'm the enemy. I'm a sinner. I'm not even a Jew. I'm not even right with God. I don't deserve you or healing. I don't deserve you have to come into my house. Maybe the centurion is just conscious of a Jew coming to a Gentile's house would make that Jew unclean, make that rabbi, in this case Jesus, unclean. But it appears more likely the Roman himself just feels unworthy, unworthy to be close to Jesus, unworthy to approach Jesus. You ever felt on that end of things, unworthy to be healed? I'm not close enough. I don't read enough of my Bible. I am that Christian that goes 1.2 times a month to church. Uh, I, I don't volunteer. I say things I shouldn't say. I still struggle with pride or greed in my heart. I don't, I don't deserve to be close to you. I don't, I don't deserve to be healed. But just like the worthy thing, we're going to find out that feeling unworthy doesn't change things with healing either. That's not where it's at either. You know, already we're learning a few things about healing faith. Number one is, faith expects a yes. Faith expects a yes. The fact that the centurion sends a delegation to ask Jesus for healing shows he expected Jesus to say yes. When Jesus starts heading to the centurion's house and he's saying, wait, 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 I, I don't need you to come to my house. I'm not worthy of that. But if you want to heal, you have authority. You just say the word and, and it'll happen right now. He was expecting a yes from Jesus. We should go into prayer for the sick with faith that God can and will heal. We have multiple examples in the scriptures where a lack of faith caused Jesus not to do many miracles, particularly in his hometown of Nazareth. Several verses where it says he was only able to do a couple miracles because of a lack of faith. There is a role of faith in healing. We should expect Jesus 
to say yes. We base our expectation of yes on the fact that Jesus has commissioned all his disciples, meaning all followers, to heal the sick. We expect a yes on healing because we are told to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, where God's will is done 100% of the time, which is a place we call heaven. Everyone is healed in that place. Amen? When you go to heaven, you will not have a bad back, a bad hip. There will be no cancer. There will be no blindness. There will be no mute. There will be no deaf. In heaven, where God's will is done 100% of the time, we are told to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done right here in this deaf person, in this person with cancer, in this person with a limp, in this person with a bad hip. We are told, pray your kingdom come, your will be done in that person just like it's being done in heaven. So we can pray with an expectation of yes. But here's the deal. Where is the faith located? Like who has the faith? Well, at times it's the prayer has the faith, right? When Jesus raises dead people, does the dead person have faith? Hmm. Not likely. Um, the prayer has the faith, right? At other times, Think of the woman who touches the hem of Jesus' garment. Faith is located where? In her. She has the faith. Jesus doesn't even know it's going to happen. She reaches out in faith. And then sometimes faith is located in an intermediary, like the centurion. He has faith that his servant will be healed, right? I don't know if the servant had faith or not. But it's in this guy, the centurion, that has faith. I want to press in a little more into this issue of faith. Former Vineyard Pastor and Ken Blue in his book, Authority to Heal, which is a must read if you want a book on healing, Authority to Heal, University Press. The faith to be healed and to pray for the sick is nothing other, pay attention to this folks, because there's so much confusion on what faith is. The faith to be healed and pray for the sick is nothing other than childlike trust in the loving character and purpose of our Heavenly Father. People who find it hard to trust God are often difficult to pray for. If they cannot be vulnerable before him, they are unlikely to be healed. The, this relational orientation to an understanding of faith should keep us from the errors of some popular faith teachers who define faith as psychological certainty. See, faith is not psychological certainty. Faith is not that I don't have any doubt in my head. I've just got to be so psychologically certain that this is going to happen. No, no, no. It's not faith in my faith. It's not faith in my ability to have faith. It's faith in who? Jesus and his character. That's what faith is. It's trusting him. In shifting our focus from the character of God to our private state of mind, their approach weakens rather than strengthens faith. When we are exhorted, for instance, to expel all vestiges of doubt from our mind before we can be healed, we are damaged psychologically and misled theologically. True Christian faith in all its expressions looks away from self to God and what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. The real question is not, do I believe strongly enough to be healed or pray for the sick, but is God the sort of person I can trust and am I willing to be open to his love? That's what faith is. Let me press in a little further. Is it okay if I press in a little further? Yeah. Clock says I got time, so I'm gonna do it. We used to do in all our small groups, I don't know, ten, first 10 years, I bet every small group we ever did got handed a notebook with all these, they were called kinship groups. Kin is my people in Eastern Kentucky uh, for family, right? So we had kinship groups, small groups, family groups. 
And uh, we used this book, it was from Columbus Vineyard, and it just went through like five weeks on the kingdom of God, five weeks on healing, five weeks on worship. I mean, it just went through five weeks on relationships. And we'd always go through it. So in the healing section, there, uh, there's a section on faith, and it says this. We believe that faith is, the, is believing in the character of God. It is not a tool to coerce God into doing something. We do not believe in a formulaic faith. There are three things that I can find wrong with formulaic faith. I'm gonna share this from that study. Formula faith sees a direct correlation between faith and healing, a cause and effect kind of relationship. If you have enough faith, God has to heal you. Perhaps you've heard that before. I don't think that's real faith. Faith is the key that'll unlock God's riches for you. I don't think that's right. Second, formula faith puts more emphasis on human effort and will than on God. What's important in formula faith is how hard and how firmly we believe and how well we can dispel doubts from our minds. It's what we do that is key to healing. It is our believing that forces God to act. This kind of faith in ourselves actually destroys real faith in God. Finally, formula faith denies reality as we know it and as the Bible teaches it. Most of us don't like the next promise I'm gonna read from Jesus, John 16, 33. In this world, you will have trouble. <laughs> I've been living that one. I got it, I'm doing that one. I also claim what comes after it, but fear not, for I've overcome the world. My peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. I do not give as the world gives. We are told by Paul in Romans 8 that, that all of creation is under decay, even our bodies under decay. We are groaning, waiting for the return of Christ to establish a, a new Eden, a new garden as we learned in, at Easter time. And so it isn't just about if I just had enough faith, it'll turn it all around. It won't because this is the thing we're under in this, in this fallen world. We do have a lot right now of God's blessings, but we do not have it all. Formula faith tells us we can have it all right now if we only believe. And I don't think that's correct theologically, nor is it express, uh, correct in reality. This brings us to something else I think the centurion teaches us about healing faith. He expected a yes, but he was prepared for a no. He puts all his faith in Jesus and the character of Jesus. Not in what he wanted, the centurion wanted, but he puts it in Jesus. You have the authority to heal, but by saying that, he's saying, you also have the authority not to heal. I'm not telling you, I'm not making you what to do, or making you do something. Like, it's all on you. You say the word, it's done. You don't say the word, it's not done. See, I think healing faith expects a yes, but is prepared for a no. We expect a yes because God exists. God is powerful, God is love. We expect a yes because the kingdom of heaven is already here, but we're prepared for a no because the kingdom of heaven is not yet fully here. Healing faith expects a yes, but it's prepared for a no. Healing faith, I think we even have to lean into a yes. We still gotta hold on to the no. Gotta live in this tension. Now I know I critiqued formula faith. I'm gonna critique probably the greater majority of us in the room, including myself. Mike Stravina, can I, can I get real for a few moments? I mean, the clock says still got time, so I'm good. I think most of us use the prepared for no as an excuse to never truly pray with faith and expectation for healing. I think we can lean in to prepared for no so much, lean into kingdom of heaven is not yet here. We can, we can lean into that 
and miss all the times God is saying already, 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 already. Yes, yes, yes. It may be even worse than that for some of us. We may only expect no, so we're not even prepared for a yes. We don't even think to pray for real healing. Let me just say all this again, just to make sure. I'm, I'm not sure you heard me, so I'm going to say it again. I think most of us use be prepared for no as an excuse to never truly pray with faith expecting healing. I think we lean in and prepare for no, lean into the not yet of the kingdom of heaven, and we miss out on all the times God is saying already, 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 yes, yes, yes. I believe God is saying get on with it already. I've already given you the power and authority to heal the sick, cast out demons. Get on with it already. I've already given you a spirit with gifts to enable you to heal the sick and to share your faith in Jesus. just determining how much we press in here. I actually like people to like me, so. Uh, can I just say I like the chosen, I like Jesus' revolution. I'd much rather live it than watch it. I'm amazed at how many of us, including myself, will watch it, get teary-eyed, cry, whatever. Isn't that awesome? And then never do a thing about it. It's not supposed to be locked up into this book 2,000 years ago. This is an example for us to follow. We're supposed to be living it out. You will not find a spectator version of Christianity in this book. You will not find a version of Christianity that says, I am more spiritual because I listen to Christian podcasts and Christian music and I listen to sermons every Sunday and therefore I am spiritual. You will not find that in this book. Jesus' half-brother, James, puts it this way. Faith without what is what? I'm not sure you got it. Faith without what is what? Supposed to be lived out. Supposed to actually be tried. Supposed to risk. Do it. The old vineyard motto for years has been faith is spelled R-I-S-K. You actually have to live out your faith. So let me challenge us all to lean in hard into the yes. Still hold on to the no, the not yet. It's still here. You're going to see plenty of examples of that in your life. But this worldview should actually free us up to pray every time we have the opportunity to pray for somebody sick and to expect a yes, even as we're prepared for a no. And the reason it frees us up is because we can go in with confidence. Our God has enough love and enough power to heal. The kingdom of God is already broken into this world. And if that person is not healed, I don't have to blame them. I don't have to blame me. I don't have to blame God. I just live in a sinful, broken world that my king is coming back to redeem someday. And one day, all the wrongs, all the injustices will be made right. And so I can go swing at every pitch because I just know he's on our side. This is what he wants. If it doesn't work, I'm okay. It's going to work one day. Amen? Amen. Starting to preach in here. Healing faith expects yes, but is prepared for no. Healing faith leads into yes while still holding on to no. You know what? Jesus is actually amazed at this kind of faith. There's only two places in the scripture where Jesus goes that he's amazed at faith and he's, he was amazed at great faith. This is one of them. Take a look. Verses Nine and 10. When Jesus heard this, the, the centurion, I preached so long, I forgot what the centurion said. He said, hey, if you got authority, you can do it. If you don't, whatever. Uh, 
When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Amazing thing that he's amazed at this guy's faith. This was not a religious person. It was a pagan. It was the occupiers, the enemy. Yet he recognized Jesus' power and compassion and authority, and he had healing faith. Healing faith expects a yes, but is prepared for a no. And Jesus healed the servant from a distance. I don't have time to go down this road, but oh well. Um, <laughs> historians and even sociologists will look back. How did Christianity grow so much? How in the first 250 years did it go from 0% of the Roman Empire to, to over 40% of the population? How did it grow in the face of national, international persecution. And there's several things that are listed. Uh, I mean, the value of women is listed. That was a draw to Christianity. Christianity just has incredible value of women. Um, the, the idea of against infanticide, against abortion, against adultery, because all those things were accepted in Roman culture, um, drew women to Christianity. Um, when pagans ran from the cities, when plagues hit, Christians stayed to take care of the sick. That's another thing that won the Romans over. There's another thing that won the Romans over, and it was the power of God. I don't have time to get into it too much, but um, Irenaeus, in, in one part, he's an early church father. I think he lived around 125 to 180. He's, he, I'm going to paraphrase something. Uh, it's the, you know the KJV, King Joel version. Um, he says, uh, he says, uh, who is it when you have demonic afflictions that you, your own pagan people won't uh, cure or, or who can't cure or who won't cure because you don't have enough money to pay them because you used to have to pay the priest, the pagan priest to heal. Um, uh, it's the Christians. We deliver you from demons. When you're sick and your family members are sick, who do you go to? You go to us Christians. Why are you persecuting us? Because we keep healing you and delivering you from demons. Most historians and sociologists will say one of the reasons Christianity grew is because there was power to actually inflict change and transformation on people. They expected a yes. So how do we, how do we uh, apply this to our life? How do we practice this? I, I think repentance is in order, confession and repentance, probably for two groups of people. I'd say if you've tried to live a formula of faith, a faith that says, I do this, I pull this lever, God must do that, um, uh, I, I would repent of that. Um, just how those wrong-headed beliefs at times on our faith can actually hurt ourselves uh, or cause us psychological or spiritual harm, I would, I would repent of that. My guess is there's probably more of us in the second group, which if we've had zero expectation that Jesus is going to heal somebody, I think we need to repent of that. And it's evidenced by our weak prayers or more than likely our zero prayers. Again, faith without action is, is dead. And so the way I know we believe in healing is if we're just constantly praying for people to get well. Um, we don't take risks. We don't say, can I pray for you right now? Asking that question and jumping in causes you to leap into this expect with yes and be prepared for no. If you're a follower of Jesus and you aren't living this way, then I encourage you to repent for not obeying Jesus. Jesus told his disciples to do what he did here on earth. Good news of the poor, heal the sick, cast out demons, tell people the great news that the kingdom of heaven has broke into this planet. 
Repent for neglecting the power and authority and command that Jesus has given you. But I can't just stop there with repentance. As the forerunner of Jesus, John the Baptist put it, you must produce fruits of repentance, which means actually do something, which I think is, I could have set the bar high. I didn't even want to say this. Because I was reviewing this last night, I was like, oh man, now I'm going to have to do it. Um, so, um, commit to praying with every sick person you see this week. I just challenge you to do it. Every person that's got an illness or an ailment, I'm just going to pray for it. Like right then. John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard, was known to have a healing ministry, and people would come to him. I've actually talked to some people who actually did this, and they went to him and said, I want to have the healing ministry you have. Will you pray for me? And every time what he would say, he says, I want you to go pray for 100 sick people and come back and talk to me. When he had interns or he hired a new pastor, he would send them to the hospital. This is back when you could do such a thing. He would send them to the hospital, and he goes, I just want you to start on the first floor and just start working your way through every room and pray for everybody. Why do you do that? Well, because he, if you're going to do healing ministry, if you're going to pray for the sick long term, you better figure out how I can keep leaning in and expect a yes, but be prepared for a no. Because if you're going to go through the hospital, you aren't going to clean the hospital out, right? You're going to have to learn how to deal with failure and unanswered prayers. There's going to be every once in a while somebody's going to get healed. And that'll give you enough energy to keep going. Do all the next failure. You just keep at it, man. You just keep at it. So I, I encourage you. If you want to actually apply this to your life, just pray for every person. Expect a yes, prepare for a no. There was a plumber in my house two weeks ago. You may have gathered after the... <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, when it involved crawling through the kitchen cabinet to cut out a piece of the wall to get behind the stuff to fix the bathroom, yeah, I was like, no, I'm not your guy. I mean a shoehorn and Vaseline to get me into the cabinet for the first thing. And then, you know, I mean, uh, so anyway. Uh, so we're done. The, the plumber, he says, I don't know if I can do this. I've had serious neck injury and I've, I've gotten cortisone shots and it's worked for three years and now it's not working. I'm not sure I can contort and get in here. And he's about 10 years older than me. And uh, I'm actually typing at the kitchen table on a sermon on healing <laughs> for April 23rd. Confession. Dear Jesus, help this plumber be healed right now. I'm silent prayer because I need the plumbing fixed, right? Like the spirit. You are typing to ask people to pray with people. I wait till he's almost gone. Uh, it took me a while to get the courage. Um, like, hey man, I'm gonna stand on my porch, pay him, do the thing, whatever. Um, thanks so much for coming. And uh, this may sound a little awkward, but you're talking about your neck and everything. This is your livelihood, man. I just felt like I, I should pray for you to be healed. Can I, can I pray for you right now? He's oh yeah, buddy, yeah, it'd be great. Okay. And uh, can I put my hand on your shoulder? Absolutely. So, you know, do the thing, do the thing. Eyes open, watching him. He's bowing his head, whatever. And just pray, simple prayer, but pray for the power of God to come, heal him. And I don't, I don't know if he was healed in the moment. That I can't tell you. All I can tell you is when I was done, it's like, wow, that was incredible. He goes, it has been so long since anybody has done that for him. And he just gets talking and rambling about, you know, the power of God and the Lord, whatever. And then as he gets to his van, he turns around and goes, man, thanks so much. Again, I appreciate you taking time to do that. Again, I don't know if he got healed. What's the worst that happens if we do this? Somebody gets encouraged? That's bad, I don't know. Uh, 
Again, if you do it with expect a yes, prepare for a no, they get encouraged. If you want to blame yourself, blame God or blame them for them not getting healed, that's not so encouraging. Right? So I started with the story, 2007. And uh, we gathered actually where our food pantry is now. We were using it as a food pantry in 07, plus as a meeting space for youth group and different things in the Agape. It used to be called the Agape Building, the old food pantry, or the food pantry's there now. And we gathered and we prayed. And we had, about, I don't know, two, three-hour prayer time. We just took time for each person and prayed. And, and I don't know that there was any discernible difference as we prayed, except the power of God and the presence of God was there. A lot of tears, and God was there in power. Surgical nurse went on to find out that uh, he could do some medicine. There were some neurological reasons for his feet. He's actually still practicing today um, and able to do it. Um, uh, the gentleman with, with cancer, his cancer got worse. And about six months later, he passed away in his mid-40s. And the woman in her mid-40s with MS lesions went back to their doctor, and her doctor said, I want to do another MRI to see how things are going. And uh, there was not a lesion on her brain or on her spine, and to this day, she has been free of MS since 2007. Yeah. I grieve our friend that didn't make it, that cancer. It was a hard loss for our church. But I'm glad that we're willing to lean in and expect a yes and be prepared for a no, because it's worth it for that one lady that received. And even in that moment, it was worth it for all three of them just to receive love and encouragement as we prayed. Amen. Would you stand with me? I'm going to invite the worship team up.